Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Continuing with some of our favorite podcast interviews from 2021, we decided to revisit one focus on one of the ever-increasingly popular genres of music, reggaeton. Reggaeton is a mix of Afro-Caribbean, Latin American, dancehall, and hip-hop, and it's everywhere, from the streets of New York to high-end ad campaigns to global streaming playlists. Loud, the History of Reggaeton is a podcast that corrects the record and makes sure we all know the true history of the genre. As you learn in the pod, it's a story of immigration, racism, classism, sex, politics, and artists refusing to bow to the status quo. Plus, the show is hosted by Evie Queen, often known as the queen of reggaeton and one of the original MCs of the movement. We were joined by one of the podcast's executive producers, Julio Apabon, who started out by explaining why they decided to take a historical, almost biographical approach to the podcast. Yeah, you know, this is three years in the making. Uh, and initially, I wanted to make the podcast for me and people like me who grew up on reggaeton didn't really know the definitive history. Uh, there are a lot of um, uh, sort of parallels to hip-hop in that there were rumors and half-truths and myths about origins, about rivalries between MCs and where, uh, what country did the sound originate from. Uh, and so I knew that someone had to try and set the record straight and tell the story as close to a definitive history as possible. And hopefully we accomplished a little bit of that. Now, aside from the music, which is very important to dig into the music and all of those uh, things you just mentioned, what are some of the important reasons to talk about reggaeton within the idea of history and geopolitics? Yeah, you know, there are just so many themes, like you had mentioned at the top uh, of this introduction about race, class, immigration, censorship, and policing. Uh, you know, that we just, the, the more research we did regarding the podcast uh, and the deeper the hole we went to, the more you realize that these themes and these stories uh, resonate today with what's going on in the world. And so that, coupled with the fact that reggaeton at this point in the cultural atmosphere and the cultural ethos is pop culture. Uh, we are now defining uh, what is hot and what is not, uh, both in music, but also outside of music, whether it's fashion or whether it's, uh, you know, films. Uh, you know, the, the reggaeton artists are now sort of like the guiding light. And so it, it couldn't have been a better time. We get a really interesting history lesson in this podcast. So let's talk about the first episode. It takes us all the way back to early 1900s Panama. Why did the reggaeton movement begin in Panama? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, particularly if you're Latinx or if you're identified as Latinx or Hispanic, you know that there are black Panamanians. What I think a lot of people don't know is that there are black Panamanians and then there's an entire sort of immigration community that came in during the building of the Panama Canal that needed to come in and they needed to be English-speaking labor to help build the canal for the Americans that were building the canal in the early 1900s, as you alluded to. And so there's actually two defining communities of black culture in Panama at the time. And one is English-dominant, and one wasn't. And essentially, the, you know, as the podcast will tell you, uh, when the Americans leave, uh, it's one of the factors that which now these two communities had to join and blend. And when they do that, so did their sound. 
And so you had Jamaican and Caribbean immigrants with their dance hall and roots reggae influences uh, and their English dominant, coupled with black Panamanians with their salsa and their Spanish language influences, and you meld the two together. And that's where the, uh, that's where the genre began. Well, let's listen to a clip of the early reggae dance hall scene, what it was like in Panama in the 80s, and how this was the beginning of what we now identify as reggaeton. This is from episode one of Loud. We used to sing on top of the Jamaican rhythms. That's reggae Sam again, Renato's friend. Or behind the side A was a side B, and side B was instrumental. So most of these Jamaican songs, we used to try to translate. Kind of like this. All who no beard from morning, rung a wola, fresh, go wola, fresh, go wola, fresh. All who no beard from evening, rung a wola. Hit and turn it over in Spanish and say, Basa el baño en la mañana y estas fresco. Wow. And reggae say because they came from West Indian families, it was easy for them. We all speak patois. We all speak English. So we had the communication with reggae. Whatever you was hearing in English that you could not understand, we hit it back in Spanish and you could understand. So mostly most of the music, that's what we was doing. Translating for the people to understand. That is from Lao, The History of Reggaeton. I'm talking to one of the executive producers, Julio Pabon. So, Julio, the podcast does clarify that many Panamanians who weren't black originally rejected this new kind of music. Why so? Well, you know, I, I think there's, there's a number of reasons, not least of which that uh, it, it was considered black music and it was in English. And it was, you know, at least in the beginning, it was considered countercultural. And, you know, anything countercultural can be dangerous. And so it uh, wasn't clearly defined by the status quo. It wasn't something they can put their finger on. Uh, it wasn't like a definitive origin story where it's like, oh, because of these people, uh, you know, we, we, with this sound is created. It was created really uh, out of uh, protest, you know, to be honest. And so you put those factors together and... Uh, you know, right off the bat, it just it just wasn't a welcome uh, addition to to Panamanian mm-hmm. culture at the time. As people have already picked up, the podcast is bilingual with Spanish and English interspersed with dialogue. Sometimes there's overdubbed translations. Why did you decide to script the podcast this way? Uh, there were a number of factors uh, going into why we decided to uh, do the podcast in a Spanglish sort of tone. Uh, first and foremost, creatively speaking, it, it, it lends itself to that because the genre uh, began with so many languages, including English, right? Uh, without the Jamaican and Caribbean migration into Panama, uh, where they speak Spanish, uh, you, you don't have it. Uh, and then the the, the, the genre really blows up in New York City, which obviously is in the United States, and that's an English language city for the most part. Uh, and so you put that together, and then it, it sort of explodes and becomes global in Puerto Rico. And because of Puerto Rico's relation to the United States, uh, Puerto Rico has strong uh, Spanish roots, but also has uh, many cultural influences from the United States. And so it was just a natural selection to do it in English. I don't think we could have done it in any other way but Spanglish. Uh, and then, of course, we just wanted to make it accessible to as many people as possible, even if you're just a fan of the genre uh, tangentially, or you like a song, or you like Daddy Yankee, but don't know why, or, you know, the music hits you and you feel you feel like you can't stop moving, as I did at the top when you played Duda. 
you know, we wanted to make it accessible for you in that way as well. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought up New York because we talked about Panama and you talked about Panama in the podcast. And then you bring us to New York and how reggae, reggae dancehall parties and Afro-Latino Brooklyn neighborhoods helped spread reggae espanol to the streets of New York. Where was this mostly happening? And then what was the impact of New York on the sound that we know as reggaeton today? Yeah. So, you know, if you're a fan of the podcast, you know that uh, the genre basically hangs on by a thread in those early mm -hmm. years. And uh, there are a number of events that any of which don't happen, and then the genre would cease to exist. One of those events is a young MC who decides to leave music altogether to come to New York to study business administration. Uh, he's a black Panamanian, and he lands in uh, Brooklyn. Little does he know, though, that Brooklyn is the epicenter of Caribbean culture in the United States. And so here he was thinking he was going to have to get away from music, and it turns out he lands right in the middle of it all, and he becomes El General. Uh, and El General is, uh, you know, by, by all accounts, the first uh, reggaeton artist, uh, particularly one with international fame and stardom. And so if he doesn't go to Brooklyn uh, to be, and, and become El General in Brooklyn, uh, we may not be having this conversation today. And there are a few events like that over the course of reggaeton's timeline that, uh, you know, we define in the podcast as, as sort of genre bending. And without these events, uh, we, we may not get to the, you know, the global appeal that we're at today. Around this time in New York in the 90s, hip hop was blowing up. So how did American hip hop influence the early sounds of reggaeton? Right. So uh, in Brooklyn, you've got this, this budding sort of large uh, Caribbean-influenced culture uh, at the same time that hip-hop is, is becoming like the new soundtrack of the city. Uh, Puerto Ricans, uh, by nature of our relationship with the United States, can effortlessly go back and forth between the United States and Puerto Rico and do so. And young Puerto Ricans in particular at the time were traveling back and forth and bringing back this music. They were bringing back not only the dance hall piece, but were bringing back English language hip hop. And so whether it was KRS-One or Ice Cube or Public Enemy, uh, these sounds were making their way back. And, you know, despite the fact that you'll hear this in the podcast, that quite a few artists don't even know what the lyrics are, but they can feel it. They know it. They feel that it's protesting. They feel like it identifies them. They felt seen and heard and started making music on their own. So while, uh, Spanish language be, uh, rhyming over reggae rhythms becomes big in Brooklyn, in New York, in, in Puerto Rico. There's a hip hop scene that is all equally becoming as big, and the Puerto Ricans that are going back and forth are now bringing both sounds back, and that blend sort of created the the global appeal that we have today. But but at that point, El Hanada was already big in the mm -hmm. in the Spanish language world. But you couple that with the Tony Touches, the Fat Joes, the KRSs of the world, and now you've got this sort of new sound that's coming out of Puerto Rico and coming back and forth effortlessly because there's no passport. Let's listen to the impact hip-hop had on Puerto Rico. This is told by Evie Queen, host of the podcast Loud, The History of Reggaeton. Let's take a listen. Because of the New Yorican connection, Puerto Rico was one of the first places to get into hip-hop. I remember I first find out about hip hop through my brother, Jacob. He has tapes of Das Effects, Buster Rhymes. Even though he didn't understand, 
the music spoke to us. It was straight up, it was raw, it was poetry, but with music underneath, you know? It was music that could fit the feelings that you have inside. So growing up in Añasco, on the west side of Puerto Rico, I was all about it, honey. I walk around with my boombox and my little pedazo de cartón, and if any moment a cipher will start, we bust it down. Back then, if you have a party and you didn't play rap, honey, nobody's going to show up. That was Evie Queen from the podcast Loud, The History of Reggaeton. I'm talking to one of its executive producers, Julio Pabon. So, Julio, for people who don't know Evie Queen and are hearing that voice and thinking, I need to know everything about this person, (laughs) tell us a a little (laughs) bit about her history and why she's the right person to host this podcast. Well, for those uh, the onion, the uninitiated, Evie Queen is the reigning queen of the genre. Mm-hmm. She is not only one of the first, not the first, but she's one of the first to uh, not only record, but she's also the most successful female uh, reggaetonera in 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 the space. And she's been doing it for a long time since since the the sound got to Puerto Rico, essentially, as you'll hear in the podcast. So. Uh, it was important for us on a number of fronts, but not least of which that she provided a level of validity to the stories that you hear because so many of them she helped shape. She helped shape the culture of reggaeton into what it is today. So uh, I'm not going to tell Evie whether a story was true or not. She's going to tell us <laughs> and, and keep us in check. <laughs> and that's, um, that's exactly what she did. That was part of my conversation with Julio Apabon about the podcast Loud, the history of reggaeton. Another one of our favorite podcast interviews of the year. You can listen to Loud and learn more about the history of reggaeton on Spotify. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.